morning. Our reading this morning is taken from 1 Peter, chapter 3, and verses 8 to 17. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you are called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jess. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the spirit, your spirit that we can sense in this place this morning. Thank you for the joy in this place. Thank you for the hope in this place because of you. I just pray now you'd anoint me to teach and give us responsive and receptive hearts and minds. We want to do business with you as we come before your word, Father. Amen. It's great to see you, and it's great to be able to carry on this, um, this sermon series as we're working through um, Peter's first letter, right after James in the New Testament. Um, you happen upon the first of two letters that Peter writes. And uh, this, this sermon series has been entitled uh, Resilient Hope, uh, because that's what Peter wants to convey in this letter. Peter is, 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 is much more like James uh, as a writer than, for example, Paul. Peter is first and foremost a, a teacher, a preacher, preacher, sorry, before he's a teacher, like James. So when he writes, it's because he needs to write. He has something, something specific to say. When you think about Paul, Paul has this fantastic intellect this very profound intellect that lends itself very well and very naturally to the written form. And, and you see lots of different facets of Paul's character in his writing. That's naturally how he can express himself. So you, you see a very erudite Paul in Romans. And then you'll see um, a bombastic Paul in Galatians. And a, a sometimes baffling Paul as he writes 
his two letters to the church in Corinth. And then you see a completely different Paul uh, as he writes this love letter to his friends in Philippi and Philippians. So, so you see all these different facets. And, and because of that, there's this very deep and complex theology from, from the kind of extant corp, Pauline corpus. You have to work at that, understand really what is going on. It takes time to dig down. But when you get to people like Peter and James, all right, it is what it says on the tin. These are people who, it's sound theology, but it is not complicated. But the truth is, I mean, I think James is the most practical book in the Bible, and Peter is the, the same kind of, kind of bloke. He's a leader. This is Petros, the fiery Peter. When he writes, it's because it needs, something needs saying, and you are going to hear it. And so it's not complicated theology, but it is often difficult theology to process, react to, and act upon. So in this instance, what Peter is doing is writing to these young Christian converts, mainly Gentile converts, who are having a very difficult time. They're scattered because of persecution. They are experiencing persecution because they've decided to become followers of the way. And so he's writing, reminding them of this hope that is theirs because of Christ Jesus. Right, this week um, I was in London, uh, the, the orchestra, we were doing this ballet. I, was, uh, I wasn't dancing, I was in the orchestra. Um, I, got, I got the same kind of reaction from the nine o'clock. Not, not that I couldn't do it, but in this instance I was asked to play the bass drum, so I was happy to do that. Um, but it was at Sadler's Wells, and Sadler's Wells is around the angel part of London, um, Beautiful, really uh, exciting part of London. We spent some time in the day, we had some time off, and we were walking around Angel waiting for the rehearsal. Um, and whilst we were walking around, we encountered two different groups of Christians, two different types of Christian. I'm walking with these percussionists, these uh, all younger than me, everyone's younger than me these days, and we're walking past this, this, this group of students. They had a table of Bibles that they were preparing to give out, piled high of Bibles, this table was. Um, and as we walked past, they, they were looking quite anxious and they were up for it. You could see they were on the streets, but they hadn't actually given any Bibles away yet. We walked past and indeed, um, they didn't give us any Bibles, which caused a reaction from our group. Uh, they were saying to us, well, they got these Bibles, why didn't they give us you know, a Bible? And we were having a chat about, I was saying, you know, they're, they're building themselves up for it. And we're about half a mile up the street when we encountered a different type of Christian, a street preacher, and I have to say I, I, I love the, the idea of street preaching, but this particular street preacher was uh, incredibly com uh, confident and very animated and was shouting into a really naff, cheap PA system. So you know, you've got and which is really helpful. And, uh, and obviously, my friends thought it ridiculous. And then uh, this lady slowed down and said one sentence that we could all understand. And she said, um, there is no hope but for Jesus Christ or something like that. There is no hope apart from Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, um, this elicited, elicited a fairly disingenuous response from one of the group, who I won't tell you exactly what he said because it will spoil the flow of the sermon, but words to the effect of... Um, you can put your hope where the sun doesn't shine and stop ruining people's day. But that allowed me to, to start a conversation and we went and sat down in a coffee shop, all of us, 
and, and talked about hope. And as we're having a really helpful conversation, what, what happened was that the Lord really put on my heart what we should think about this morning in our time together. Um, as we think about resilient hope, we need to think about how we communicate this hope. How we communicate this hope. Is it our job to communicate this hope? And we, to do that, uh, help is in our thing. We're going to just take one verse that was read to us. As you systematically work through a letter like we are now, you will happen upon certain verses that are particularly pertinent. And for such a time as this, I think 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, is a critical verse that we need to consider as a church. Okay? So we're just going to take apart this one verse. It's going to be about an hour and a half. It'll be really good fun. Um, to help us think about how we communicate um, the hope that is in us. Now, interestingly, um, this, this verse, it's, um, we need to note that Peter writes to everybody. This is a general letter written to everybody, to his young converts. It's not written to specialists, because as soon as you read this verse, it's easy to kind of say, oh, this, does, this is, doesn't apply to me, because... Um, the word answer there in the Greek, it's not a great translation actually. Um, it's, the, the Greek word is apologia. So, a better translation is the word we get from a, a, apologetic from. So, a better uh, translation would be a defense, always be prepared to give a defense. And then, as soon as that, we, we frame it like that, people say, oh, well, that's apologetics, that's just really not my thing, it's just not what I'm into, you know. Just like you know, you talk about evangelism. The Bible says some are called to be evangelists. And then that, the rest of us go, phew, I thought that meant me. And of course, some are specialists, are gifted in evangelism. But everybody, so we're gifted as evangelists, but every one of us here, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you call yourself a Christian, you are called to evangelism. You are called to share the good news, the hope that is in you. Some people are gifted as apologists and can come up with clever arguments and have good discussions. But everybody is called to be able to defend their faith, right? So this applies to everybody. Okay, so this verse starts, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. See, uh, the, 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 uh, again, a better translation. I'm, I'm not taking on the NIV this morning, right? I'm just saying, um, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord would, would be a better translation. Before you, you do anything, Peter starts with this. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. And, it, and the, the word there for heart mean, means the, the seat of your intellectual and your emotional life. It's the seat for both. So when, when Jesus says, why do you reason so in your heart? It's not that he's got a, a problem with basic anatomy, that the heart pump, pumps blood and the brain does the thinking. No, this is the place where your emotional being and your intellectual being reside, okay? So in all elements of your life, set apart Christ as Lord. Make sure Jesus has lordship in your life. Before you get out there and talk to them about hope, make sure Jesus Christ is in here, Right? Tick, and we're off. Always be prepared, he says. And the, and the connotation here is of, of, of being fit. Of being fit. Now, despite what you see, I'm, I could be fitter. Would be, but thank you. 
the kindest thing to say about me. Now, we got to Christmas and New Year in our house, right? And um, I confessed at 9 o'clock, I'll tell you the same thing. Uh, it was just in between Christmas and New Year, right? I was bending over to tie my shoelaces, and I almost passed out because of lack of oxygen, right? So I thought that's not, you know, that's not ideal as, as a land mammal not to be able to do that. Um, so I said to Claire, something's got to happen. And something did happen in January. I mean, I was a, as you can imagine, I was a right laugh because it took everything out of my diet. And through January, very disciplined approach to, to diet and training, I lost a stone, okay? Thank you. <laughs> Come on, it was a stone. Um, now then, then, February and March happened. <laughs> now, I, I am in the midst of this crazy period. Like, it's actually not my fault. At the moment, I'm so busy, so unhelpfully busy. It's ridiculous. And there's nothing I can do about it. And it's just for a short period of time. But because of that, my disciplines have waned. I've become less disciplined. I'm doing all right. I'm, you know, I'm aware that I need to keep weight off and, and try and eat healthily. But I'm doing less well. As stuff has got in between me and this business. I, I've become less disciplined. I've allowed other things to, to nudge in and, 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 and get in its way. And that can happen spiritually, can't it? You know you've got to read your Bible. It's in your life to change your life, to empower you. You know you need to spend time with Jesus in prayer. It's the, it's the most incredible gift. And yet other stuff gets in the way, right? And that's why Peter says, always be prepared. The implication here is that you need to be fit and you need to do some training. You need to sustain that fitness. It's, it's not easy to give a defense. You know, Christian books, they're, they're not written... To, to, to add weight to your bookshelves. The Christian books are written to add weight to your understanding of Jesus and add weight to the conversations you have with people about Jesus. It is not easy to give a defense, especially in the context in which you are called to be Christians. You will encounter people, friends, who have lost loved ones, people who died who should not have died because of this wretched virus. You will meet people, know people, who are wondering how the heck they're going to pay the energy bills because of this cost-of-living crisis. Listen, at the moment, our church is incredibly blessed to have new members of, of our family from the Ukraine, right? What a gift you are to our church. Our church is better because you are here. But make no mistake, they are here because the tyrant has invaded the sovereign territory of the Ukraine. It's not easy to talk to people in this current climate, in the world we find ourselves, about the hope that is in you. Peter says you need to be prepared. And you need to do some training. You need to be filling your minds with the right stuff. You need to be equipped. You need to be able to answer people's questions. And I would say as, as on, the, on that matter, you also need to be able to question people's answers. And also question their questions. Questioning questions is a great way of, uh, of, of drawing conversation out of people. Jesus was a master at it, you know. Like he, in, through the Gospels, he was asked 
183 different questions. 183 different questions. Does anyone know how many answers he gave? Good guess. It's three. Three times he answers uh, with a direct answer. So 185 times he answers a question with a question because he knows that's going to draw out conversation. But obviously he was equipped to do that. So... Set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared uh, to give an answer. An apologetic, as we've already thought about. A, a defence. Paul uses the same word in Acts chapter 26 when he's, uh, when he's taken in front of King Agrippa. He says to King Agrippa, Hear now my defence. And there's something very interesting happens in this exchange between Paul and King Agrippa. King Agrippa sees very clearly what Paul is up to how Paul sees the defence of his faith, what it should be about, what it should contain. Because King Agrippa says to him in verse 28, um, are you really going to try and convert me, persuade me to be a Christian in such a short space of time? Agrippa sees what Paul is up to, and Paul admits as much in verse 29, yeah. You see, the defence, the, the defence, every time you have a conversation, it's kind of inextricably linked with with evangelism. It's not, it's not about winning an argument. It is easy. I have made this mistake as someone who's passionate about Christian apologetics. Okay, I will tell you this. There have been times I've been, I've, I've been really gutted because I have won arguments. It's got nothing to do with winning someone for the kingdom. It just may, makes me look cleverer than them. It's not about winning arguments. It's about pointing people to Jesus, Okay? So, always be prepared. Cut that verse up. Is that that's okay? I should know it, shouldn't I? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks. This is where Peter's theology gets difficult. Give an answer to everyone who asks. The, the implication is that everyone will be asking. Oh, well, that's a problem, Matt, you see. People aren't asking me. Yeah, I agree. That's a problem. Why aren't they asking? Do, do your school friends, do your, do your workmates, do your family members, people in your neighborhood, do they, do they know you're a Christian? Can they see you're a Christian? It's very difficult. The implication is that there's something about you Something about how, what you say, how you act. That people should be thinking, what is, what is going on in that life? I haven't asked Claire's permission to tell you this story, um, but I'm going to anyway. You can stop the sermon if you'd like to, but I don't think you will. Um, Claire has changed schools in, in January and gone back to uh, teaching at a school where she started teaching over 20 years ago. She's, you know, she's gone back as a senior leader, but she's gone back to the school where she was this fresh-faced, newly qualified music teacher. It was a difficult school um, with a, a challenging catchment area, but music had an incredible impact as it was brought into this school, as we know it can in young people's lives. And it had an impact upon the children, but also on some of the staff. 
There was one staff member in particular who was really intrigued as why her, her class were coming out of the music lessons different and in a really good spirit and behaving differently. And so she started going in to the music lessons. And she was intrigued by this new young um, music teacher bouncing around with loads of energy. I can tell you that can be very irritating at times. But this kind of tireless, joyful person who was just enthusing these kids and this teacher was more and more intrigued and decided that she'd get to know this teacher and was walking past Claire's class, often looking in, thinking, wow, what's going on? So they started to get to know each other and they became friends. And this lady, whose life was frankly in a mess, wanted to know what was, what was making Claire tick, as I often want to know. No. <laughs> She wanted to know what it was about this young teacher. And they started talking, and Claire told her that she was a Christian, and uh, if the stuff you've noticed about me, then that is, that's it. And eventually this girl um, plucked up the courage to accept Claire's invitation to come to our church here at SML. And unsurprisingly, she loved our church. She kept coming. And eventually, she, she encounters Jesus, and she gives her life to Jesus, and she wants to give her whole life to Jesus, and so, so she starts to work for our church, and she becomes the children's minister at our church, and some of you will know who I'm talking about. She completely transforms the children's ministry in this church, never to be the same again. Then she decides she wants to go even further, and she commits herself to ordination, and her name is Tessa Fury, and she now runs the church over in Hamworth, and she's a kingdom builder. She's a game changer. And her journey started by walking past a room and saying, what's different about that person? They have something I don't. Paul says, as he writes for the second time to the church in Corinth, your, your, your lives are living letters, open and read by all. And that is difficult when you think about it, because don't you think the signature of Jesus Christ is just a bit too big to go unnoticed? I find that a real challenge. I've been captivated by this verse for more than 20 years. Every time I visit it, it never ceases to stop me in my tracks and challenge me. There should be something distinct about us. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks. To give you the reason for the hope that you have. The, reason, the word there for uh, reason is um, logos. It's where we get the word logic from. The implication is that the hope that you have, the gospel, is logical. It can be explained. It can be explained. John Piper says, uh, good news that isn't explained, not only is it not any good, it ain't even news. Now, as I said, it's not about winning clever arguments. The reason for the hope that you have, if you ask Tessa Fury why, what's the reason for the hope she has, she doesn't say, Claire King. She doesn't even say, because I met this teacher called Claire. She says, Jesus Christ. 
Why are you a Christian? Joe, I, I recently witnessed a conversation at work um, between a Christian and a non-Christian, okay? And uh, the non-Christian asks the Christian this, why are you a Christian? Now, I'm thinking... Ka-ching! You, I mean, how often does that happen to you? Right? You always have to manufacture, don't you, ways in. But she said, this, this person says, why are you a Christian? I'm thinking, mate, that's, you are home and dry. Until I heard the answer. Oh, my, my parents are Christians and they've always gone to church. My grandparents always went to church, always been to church, just always been. And the person went, oh, and walked off. And then the Christian started to walk off, and you, you know, me being gentleman, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what was that? What was what? What was that? She, she just asked you, why are you a Christian? And you gave her the answer, how you became a Christian. If the answer to the question, why are you a Christian, is the same as the answer, how did you become a Christian, that's a bankrupt answer. There's nothing for anyone. You ask Tessa Fury why she's a Christian, she will say, because there's this bloke called Jesus Christ, right? His very nature God, but he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Oh no, he comes down from heaven, he's found in appearance as a man, and he becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. Even death on a cross for me. Why am I a Christian? Why have I got hope in a world that tells me there is no hope? Because the cross changes everything. If your answer doesn't point to the cross, it's a bankrupt answer, friends. It might be a very clever, very articulate answer, but it takes no one into the kingdom. Okay, last point. And then we back on with communion. <laughs> Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And here's the critical next sentence. Unless that's Jesus, turn it off. <laughs> but do this with gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. Look, I... I have really messed up as far as this is concerned. So many times. I need to tell you, there was an incident. We, we were on, on tour after a show. A um, group of musicians sat in the bar. There was a guy in, in our, amongst us who was not a Christian and was a kind of quite an antagonist of Christianity. He knew that I was a Christian and he often took cheap shots. And I don't know, maybe I was tired after a show, but we were sitting around and he said something ridiculous. Um, and, well, I took him to the cleaners in front of everyone. I made him look stupid. I took his argument to pieces. And uh, I felt better about it as well. I felt quite good about myself. Until, I, you know, it was my round next. And I said, right, everyone for a drink? Same again? And he says, uh, no, thanks. I'm, I'm going to go to my room which was absolutely not um, his usual habit. He would he was a very social thing, and he excused himself. So I went off, brought the round, sat back down, and one of my other friends said this to me. Well, I don't matter. I tell you what, he won't mess around with you again, will he? He won't ask you about God again, will he? And he never has. Well done me, eh? Well done me. 
what was that? What was that? These are people, hurting people, lost people. They will say things that will irritate you, insult you. But the cross is for them. As you communicate, communicate the hope, the reason for the hope that is in your heart, you do so with gentleness and respect, as would Jesus. And I'm ashamed how often I've forgot the last bit of that. You know, I told you about two groups of Christians that we encountered the other day. The young students with a table full of Bibles that they apparently weren't giving out. And then the, uh, the street preacher who was just shouting at people walking past and causing invidious responses. Well, about four hours later, I'm walking back to the, the Sadler's Wells Theatre and I pass the table of students and they have three Bibles left. And I went over and... Uh, chatted with them, told them I was a Christian, and I'd been up in the coffee shop praying that you didn't give us a Bible. Uh, I was going, they said, yeah, we'd, you know, we'd just get going, and then had a conversation with this one lad, and he's going, I said, brilliant, like, well done, all these Bibles going. He said, yeah, kind of, I, w- I wish I'd had more conversations. Some people are just taking the Bibles and going, and we're able to talk briefly. Uh, and I said to him, listen, some of these Bibles you've given out, they're going in the bin. They're going right in the bin. That's the truth. Some of these Bibles, they're going to go on people's bookshelves and gather dust and they're not going to get read. And some of the Bibles are going to be opened by people who need to encounter Jesus, who are looking for hope. And I said to him, you're, you're a game changer today. You're a kingdom builder. You know, you're not going to be part of their... You're you're just the the person that opens the door. You're not part of their story, apart from you gave them the the book that changed their lives. The devil wants you to leave this service this morning convicted that not enough people speak to you, ask you questions, right? Every time I come upon this subject, people are like, oh, I feel just so guilty. What am I not doing? Well, you have to ask yourself that question. You do have to ask yourself that question. But you also need to understand that you don't know. Someone said to me after the morning service, you know, I have some people that live opposite and I'm desperately trying to forge conversations with them. But actually I was able to, I felt the Lord say to me, you know, to tell these people, they see you. They see you. They see your hospitality. They see your love. They see something different about you. And maybe they have a conversation with someone else. You have to accept that. I find that difficult to accept, but that, that is the reality of the world we live in. Time has gone. Every time I preach on this subject, I, I, I find myself, doesn't matter how I've planned to end a, convers- uh, a sermon, I find myself saying the exact same thing at the end. So you will have heard this before, um, unless this is your first time at SML, but please come again if that is the case. I look out... And I see my church family and I burst with pride when I look at you. I see people living for Jesus, brilliantly clever people, young people, old people, fat people, thin people, different people with one thing in common. There's a reason for the hope that you have. And you are his plan 
to tell them that this is not hopeless. The devil doesn't have the last word. He's never come up with a plan B, St. Mary's, because his plan A is a pretty good one. It's you. Be challenged by this verse. Don't be condemned by it. Be motivated to demonstrate, to be prepared to speak, to be equipped to speak to people about the hope that you have. Amen.